everybody. Welcome to Buzzing About Romance. You've got me, Becky, and with me this time is always Leah. I guess last week you were my book bestie, so I didn't have anything this week, so we're back to awkward intros. Well, we we but we had a couple quick shots where our intros weren't so awkward, so we had a nice lull of awkward. <laughs> it was like a, a good run of non-awkward intros, but now we're back. Don't worry, guys. Awkward. I know you missed it. The awkward intros are here forever. Um, so on this episode of Buzzing About Romance, we are chatting with author Roan Parrish, author of multiple books, and is one of the co-hosts of Dear Romance Writers podcast. Will you read us her bio, Leo? Leah? Yes. Whatever. Oh my God, I can't even talk tonight. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, it both started with L. Right. Roan Parrish lives in Philadelphia, where she is gradually attempting to write love stories in every genre. When not writing, she can usually be found cutting her friend's hair, meandering through whatever city she's in while listening to torch songs and melodic death metal, or cooking overly elaborate meals. She loves bonfires, winter beaches, minor chord harmonies, and self-tattooing. One time, she may or may not have been may not have baked a six-layer chocolate cake and then thrown it out of the window in a fit of peak. Okay. Why? We need to know about the chocolate cake and why we threw it out a window. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Rose. Yes, hi. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, that throwing chocolate cake really threw me for a second. I know. I'm so sorry. Why did you throw a chocolate cake? Were you mad um, at the cake? I, I was not mad at the cake. I... So this was like my senior year of college, I think. And I was really stressed out trying to write my thesis and, you know, like things in college before you've learned to regulate your emotions just hit you really hard. And I was in a terrible mood and I am kind of like a, like an emotional baker and it calms me down. It makes me really happy, but also I kind of like, you know, it's a process you got to go through. So I found this recipe in a cookbook and it was like, a, a chocolate layer cake and each of the layers was a different kind of chocolate so there was like an oreo layer and a dark chocolate layer and a malted chocolate layer and this took me i mean this was like i was living in a house with a bunch of housemates and uh i was like walking to the local uh, gas station to get more in ingredients as i ran out like in the process it took me forever <laughs> i was not an accomplished baker at the time our kitchen was not set up well so we had very little stuff so i would have to like bake a layer take it out mix the next layer, put it in the same pan, bake it because we didn't have stuff. And at the end of it, also, I should have prefaced this by saying I don't really like chocolate. So I was baking it because it looked like a cool cake to bake, not for myself. And at the end of the whole thing, I like offered it to my housemates and none of them wanted it. And I called a friend who lived in a collective house and was like, I just baked this huge chocolate cake. Can I bring it over and drop it off? Because like 20 people lived there. And she was like, you can't because if it's there, then I'll eat it and I'm on a diet. And I was so enraged that no one wanted my cake that um, <laughs> I threw it out the window. I'm not proud of it. I, I manage my anger better now. The thing was, this was in the winter and I threw it out. Like we had a back door, a back kitchen door. And I threw, so I guess technically that's a lie. I threw it out a door, not a window. I need to oh. amend my bio. You <laughs> but I opened the back kitchen door and I threw it outside and it landed like space down with a very satisfying plop. And I thought no more of it, except that uh, come spring, the snow melted and revealed this like un 
like touched it, cake. it was just there yeah. still this smushed cake <laughs> and all these ants like came to the cake so I ended up months later being faced with like the evidence the smashed sugary evidence of my own mood disorder and um had to scrape it up into a garbage bag and like take it outside um oh, so you know goodness. everybody lost yeah yeah I one time threw an air conditioner out the window but oh, not on purpose. on purpose. I was trying to put it. Well, I was trying so to put it in dropped, the window. You dropped so it forcefully. I dropped it though, because yeah, my husband was a jackass. I hope it didn't hit anyone. Well, would have been sad if it hit my husband, but he's still here. So <laughs> I was never trusted with the air conditioners. Yeah, I've never been trusted since. So bonus. Yeah. I <laughs> I've always lived alone. And so I, I, you know, I put them in and took them out by myself forever. And it's like this very complicated shimmy to get it in the right place and like catch the lip and in the window. Yeah. And once when I was putting one in, you know how the, the slats at the back are actually really sharp, mm-hmm. yeah, like metal slats. I, to catch it from falling, I grabbed it and it sliced, sliced. the shit out of my yeah. hand. And so I had this air conditioning unit that just had, was like dripping one. <laughs> nice. Anyway, are That's, you glad you had me on this podcast? Yeah. Are. Well, actually, you totally came through for us because we were like, we had a last minute cancellation. I'm like, who do we want to talk to? And Leah's like, wonder if Roan wants to talk to us. I'm like, well, let's ask her. And she's yes, like, do. yes, yes, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, look, she likes us. <laughs> we're so crazy. Um, okay, so first question out the gates. Are you a reader of romance? I am a reader of romance, um, but I have to say I've been kind of off it during the pandemic, um, and I've been in a real like mystery kick, mystery okay. and and like suspense kick. So I, if we're I, obviously I love to talk about romance, but I also feel like all of my most recent reads no, have that's not great. been romance. But uh, yes, I am a romance reader. What um, was your <clears throat> last five star read of anything? Yeah. Oh my gosh, my last five star read. I actually, because I forgot that you guys don't record video, I have the book here and also I'll just show it to you too and no one else. <laughs> my last five star read was The Secret Place by Tana French. Okay. I am such a huge fan of hers. I think she's brilliant and amazing. And this is in her Dublin Murder Squad series, but it can totally be read as a standalone. And it's two parallel storylines, a past and a present. And it's about... Um, a detective who gets called into a boarding school, like a girl's boarding school, which I am trash for boarding school books. I've always loved them and I still do love them. Um, and the someone a year before had been murdered, someone at the local like boys boarding school nearby and they'd never solved the murder. And so there was like this detective who had worked the case a year before. And then this new detective who came in because new evidence had come in the present. And the way it's told is the present narrative is only one day and it's them questioning all of the students at this boarding school. Mm. And then the past narrative that's intercut is a year before and it's leading up to the murder of this boy and then the aftermath. And so the way the story is, the story unfolds in the past intersects with the questions that the detectives are asking in the present and it is so captivating she's an amazing writer and like an amazing character developer the psychology of her characters are always so amazing so there are two groups of girls who don't get along and there's like four in each group and by the second chapter you really know who all eight of those girls are 
in a way that like I think most authors it takes them so much longer you're Mm -hmm. still trying to remember like oh is that the Katie or Caitlin I don't remember but she's just like she's a master I love her so much I love a good TikTok timeline I think that those are incredibly hard books Mm -hmm. to write and so when you find a good one so like I totally just wrote that down because TikTok timelines for me are total kryptonite like I get sucked into those give them to me I need them I feel like it's so hard to get it right though you have to have that perfect blend of past and present and like the flow just has to go because I've read a couple and they're they're not bad but they weren't great either like it just seemed like they there was like missing connections Mm -hmm. no I totally agree and I think that um sometimes they can rely too much on the synchronicities of Mm -hmm. the timeline like a in a way that that feels a little bit like um what's the word like over-determined where you know that this chapter was placed after this chapter to make this thing seem important. It's forced. Yeah, exactly. But then when you get there, you're like, oh, that was only important because of the order that it went in. It didn't actually signify in the Mm -hmm. the narrative of the book. Whereas Tana French is like, it's interesting. I was reading this um, and talking to my sister about it because she's also a huge Tana French fan. And this is actually an older one of hers. And I was saving it for last because boarding school books my favorite um and then so we were talking about it and I was like uh I love mysteries but I am scared to write one because plot is something that I find very difficult to like buckle down and care about a lot as a writer even though I love it as a reader and so when I was reading this I was paying really close attention and trying to be like okay look at how like think of this as a master class how does she do this and, and maybe you'll be able to like figure out how to do it, right? And so I'm reading this book and like, I came away so much more impressed even than when it was a mystery because actually there's nothing that she does that's complicated. The, the initial storyline, like the past storyline about the murder, totally simple. The present story of questioning the, the people, totally simple. It's all in the way she develops the characters and the way that she reveals like turns over the cards at exactly the right moment. Um, And so I came away and I was like, this is like someone who's managed, who on Iron Chef, you know, or not Iron Chef, Chopped, has managed to take like a bag full of gummy bears, a moldy potato and a piece of brie and make like the most amazing dish. Like none of it is that complicated Mm -hmm. or great. It's just like put together yeah. in the most masterful way. So impressive. Okay. That's on my TBR now. Cause you know, yeah, highly recommend it's not an episode. If somebody doesn't add a book to their TBR, <laughs> right? Leah? Serious. Well, really. I mean, we're not doing our jobs if we don't have to do TBR. That is so right. So do you have a comfort read? Um, I have several. I, well, lots. I have lots. I'm a huge okay. reader. I love rereading books. Um, I, there's this series called The Secret History, or no, sorry, the book, The Secret Histories by Donna Tartt, and I love that book, but it is called The Secret Circle. Okay. Um, it's like from the 90s. It's kind of um, paran- like a trilogy of paranormal witch young adult books. Okay. I and I've heard of that. It's... um. It's so good. They made a truly abysmal CW adaptation. One season, I think, and then it instantly got canceled as it should have. Oh, I remember um, that show. It was yeah. bad. So, so bad. it was truly terrible. So and I, yeah, 
awful. But that series I have read, like, what's a number higher than numbers? <laughs> I've read it so many times. Total comfort read. Um, I love YA so much. Yeah. So that's one. Um, in terms of romance, Garrett Lee is probably my favorite, like, comfort read author. I Her book, Misfits is one, one of my favorite romances of all times. I think it's like, speaking of so well done, it's like yeah. a three-way relationship uh, with an established couple who meet a third man and, and he um, joins their relationship and it's told in three parts. So you get three the three different narrators, each for one third of the book, which I feel like usually if you were to tell me that that was how a book was written, I would not want to read it. Um, not because there's anything wrong with that intrinsically, just because I think it's so hard to pull off. And she manages to do it in a way that is like, the characters are amazing. The romance is so delightful. It's really hot. Um, it's all about them opening a new restaurant, which like I will read about for 8,000 years. So good. <laughs> That's a good one. I have read that one. I think that was one of the first books that I read that, you know, was like an established married couple bringing someone else into their marriage because we don't get those very often so when you do you're kind of like oh okay what is this and you're right any book that takes place around a restaurant I love food I have a thing for food um so if you can give me a romance where like one of the characters is a chef even like a bartender or restaurant owner type thing I'm in I am all in. Oh, totally. Well, and Garrett used to work as a cook. And so her food stuff is like on point. Oh, I didn't know that so about she her. writes what she knows. Yeah, so, so good. Okay, so tell us, why an author? Was this always your dream? Did you know you were going to write books? Did you want to write oh. books for always? You know, I am, um, it was always my dream, but I never considered actually doing it. In a, in a weird way, like when I was little, I read constantly. I was obsessed with books. I think I even wrote a couple like fan letters to authors because, you know, back in the day when like there was no social Email. media. You had to yeah. write a letter and put it in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Like you, <laughs> that you find the address in the back of the book that's probably like some dead letter office at a publisher house basement somewhere. Um, but I loved reading and, and, but I never really thought of it as a job. I thought of authors as like rock stars. Like it wasn't just something that you could learn how to do and then do it was some, you know, special gift or opportunity or like club that you had to be tapped to enter or something. And, um, I also really loved academia. So I, I, when I was in college, I, after college, I went to grad school and I got my PhD in English and I thought that I was going to be in academia and I, which like is a kind of writing and yeah. I love academic writing. You know, I loved the research and everything. Um, so I did always see writing as being like part of my life, but I, it, it just kind of never, it never occurred to me that I could actually be an author. And when I did, it was a complete and total accident and I fell into it and I have never been so happy for an accident in my life. I was going to say, I'm pretty happy you've had that accident. That's not a statement people make very often. But um, I mean, and I'm going to be honest, you're a newer to me author. Um, I got a message from one of the editors at Karina Press offering me a copy of Best Laid Plans. And I was like, oh, OK. And they're like, yeah, it comes out in February. This was like in January. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I'm going to read this because I, you know, whatever. 
on and i read it and i was like what is this magic like i just loved this book and then someone said you know that's book two and i'm like no it's not like yeah it's book two i'm like oh okay because you know becky's not always smart about everything she does so then i totally standalone readable it is and it's totally i I am a huge proponent of reading series in order Mm-hmm. But I, I actually just read Best Laid Plans. I finished it. I finished it today. Yeah, like I finished it today <laughs> at the pool. I was sitting at the pool finishing it, um, and I didn't read the first one either. But I, I adored this book. Oh, it was very you. well done. Well, and I went back and I read and I read Better Than People, and I just, I loved it. So I'm very happy that you had this accident. It does not make oh. me sad. No. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Okay, and we'll get to your books. I promise people we will talk about these amazing stories. But first, are you a planner or a pantser when you write? <sighs> oh, that's such a hard <laughs> question. Are you that happy chaos of both? Yeah, I think I'm a happy chaos of both. I, I'm i trying to, okay, not to turn your podcast into a therapy session for me, but um, I am like actually, I'm actively trying to work through what I am aware is like kind of plot phobia. Um. Which is that like, I don't really care what a plot is, which isn't to say I don't care about plot, but -hmm. like when I'm reading a book, for example, if I love the characters and I'm interested in the place or whatever, it could be a book about like a family in Nantucket, or it could be a murder mystery set on Neptune, or it could be like about a train and I don't care. Like if it's well done and I like the characters and I think it's beautifully written and it's got cool shit to say, I'm all in. I will read any of those things. And I think that I have a little bit of a problem with plot then because it it sort of feels like, well, it could just be anything. And what I'm really interested in is like what what it does to the characters. And so I'm I'm now like working on a book. The I, I just started this week a new book, which is actually two different stories in the same book and I'm having to plot far more than I usually do for obvious reasons and I just have this like itch around it where I have told myself a story that I'm not good at it because I don't care that much um so I'm trying to work on it uh that's all to say that I'm definitely not a total pantser um I always like to know the character's arc uh, I don't necessarily always know what is going to happen, as you may have gathered, but I, I definitely always know, like, this is the character's psychology. When we start, these are the ways that they change each other and have to change themselves to, like, knit into a viable couple. And then here is how it's going to turn out at the end in the happily ever after. Um, so I'm a planner, but not a plotter. Maybe that's okay. Yeah, you know, I a used plant, to, a planter, a planter. <laughs> a couple years ago, I totally would have to- said, you know, I am much more plot driven when I read. Like a really good plot is the way to my heart. Those are the stories I love. But in as I started to work in the industry and work with authors doing copy edits and beta reading and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like character development be- became this bigger piece for me. And now, like. I get angry and sad if it's not a really well-developed character with, you know, lots of idiosyncrasies and pieces that all fit together at the end. So I can understand. Yeah. And I really, where am I supposed to be? I know. And it's, it's like, if, um, 
if the character, I, I love a brilliant plot. Like one of the um, talk about five star reads, I'm obsessed with this new to me author who I, he's been on my to, to read list forever, but I, I only read recently Blake Crouch. And I read two of his books right after each other, Recursion and Dark Matter. And they're both absolutely fantastic. And I highly recommend them. Their plotting is so beautiful. It's like, a DNA helix. It's just perfect. And you couldn't imagine it being any other way. They're so amazing. He also has really great character development. Um, but I feel like a good plot with un with characters I don't care about is just an experiment, you know? Whereas like great characters can be walking down the side of the road, like, or driving a garbage truck. And if they're great and having great thoughts and great conversations, I am like, so in it um yeah so I think like the best books to me have great plot and great character but you guys like I can deal with one without the other whereas it doesn't really go the other way for me yeah I can see that so do you have a favorite trope to either write or read hmm. I s similarly I feel like this is a challenging question in the same way that like I can like almost any trope if it's done well. And mm -hmm. there are some tropes that like, no matter how much I like them, if they're not, I, I, it's still not worth it. Um, I really, really respond to, I don't know if this is like a formal trope, but the trope of like um, getting together with the person who can like help you self-actualize and things that have nothing to do with your relationship. So yeah. like hating your job and getting together with the person who uh, can like give you the courage to start your own business or um, like having a really bad relationship with your family and then getting together with someone who sort of gives you the strength to, to cut those ties or whatever it is. Um, it's kind so of like the hand up, that. hand up trope, like Ooh. just giving you that hand up, the supportive trope. Yeah, I like the I, hero, I like you know, the hero or the heroine that helps, you know, kind of has your back, even mm -hmm. helps you like, sometimes we'll have romance where maybe the one of the characters their family is problematic and so they're with somebody that helps them define boundaries so it's right. kind of that hands up they like help give you that hand up without overtaking mm -hmm. and fixing it like I don't always want like the hero complex the fixer romance I like them there's nothing wrong with them but sometimes you just need that person that's at your back. That's going to give yeah. you the hand up when you need it. Um, yeah, I love that. I didn't. I didn't know that term for that trope, but I really like that because I'm not a big fan of the savior trope. Yeah. Although you know, it certainly has like there are exceptions to all of those, but yeah, hand up. I like that. Just kind of that hand up, um, mm -hmm. and, and that's and I think that that's like a very difficult trope to kind of write too, mm -hmm. because sometimes you can have a very domineering character, and they just want to save your complex, fix everything, but then you've got to write it in a way that doesn't overpower their love interest. Because not everybody wants to be saved. Sometimes we just need somebody. Well, and it's to not back. necessarily that, but not everybody wants people to to save for them. Like they want to right. save themselves. Yeah. Like they want the help to make the right decisions. And like when they make that decision, they want someone to say, yes, this is the right choice. Like I will help you like move forward in this and this and this, but I won't do it for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really agree with that. Cause I think like a character that is a character who's letting their love interest rewrite their entire life mm -hmm. is 
a character who probably needs to be alone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> like just psychologically, if you if you don't like your situation and you are willing to accept any other situation that someone else gives you, like that's not actually a solution. Even if it is a perfect life, if you just like took it because you were desperate for anything, it's not gonna end well. Yeah. So, okay, you're a hybrid author, correct? You have some indie published and some um, traditional pub published. Yeah. Um, so, and we asked this question a little bit because we've noticed some differences for authors, not specific authors, just some authors when they write their indie books, maybe they're a little more spicy, a little more in depth, a little less pristine. And then we get the traditional published book and it has moments of feeling over edited and a little bit more like stunted just yeah yeah what leah said Mm -hmm. so does your process change when you're writing does your writing style change a little bit when you're writing an indie book versus when you're writing your traditional published book does that change for you interesting question yeah um i don't think it does i so my first three books were traditionally published although I've since gotten the rights back. So they now are in our, I published them. Um, so like, and then the next two were I published and then the next three were, so I've kind of like, it's been intermixed. Um, and I don't think that I write any differently myself, but I, I do know that, um, I'm trying to think how to say this. This is not at all a slam on traditional publishers because I've had amazing, amazing editors. Like I've been so lucky, but like traditional publishers have um, two different missions, right? They have the mission to produce great books and they also have the mission to sell them. And I think that um, what happens sometimes is there are like things that you have to do, things that you're asked to do I have been very lucky that I have not been asked these things as it happens, but like, I know authors are sometimes asked to do things for the marketability of books that are like, maybe not the highest calling for their art. Um, But the publisher doesn't think that they will be as saleable. And so that's an issue where it's like, does it make the book worse? Not necessarily. I mean, it it might make it better for some readers and worse for others or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But it's definitely like, of course the editors have in mind the the art and the craft, but they answer to business people. And I think right. it's like, you can't talk about traditional publishing without just talking about the, the material realities that it is a business and yeah. they are not in the business of publishing books that they don't think are gonna sell well. And if a book doesn't sell well, it unfortunately taints lots of things about that book when other authors do them so if publishing gets it in its head that like x y or z doesn't sell well because Mm -hmm. one or two books had it and didn't sell well the next person who pitches something like that is gonna get is not gonna get accepted um so i mean i think that's all to say like the basics of writing a a self-published book are that you can write whatever you want and you maybe also really want it to sell because you want to make a living but i think there are some like i know for myself the first self-published book I did was Small Change, which is a queer MF. And it's uh, about Ginger, who is Daniel's best friend in my first book, In the Middle of Somewhere. And the reason that I self-published it was because I published that series with Dream Spinner and they only did male-male romance and Ginger 
Ginger's story they they had no interest in. And I wasn't going to try to like sell it to another publisher. It was like in the middle of a series kind of. Um, and so I wanted to self-publish it. And then uh, I proceeded to write like eight drafts of it because it wasn't working. And I was so <laughs> glad that I didn't have a deadline with a publisher. Um, but anyway, sorry. I, yeah, no, I don't good. think I write any differently. The biggest thing that is different is having a word count guidelines. So oh, like okay. the Karina books, Better Than People and Best Laid Plans are, um, I think like 65 or 70,000 words, um, which is what Karina public wants. Um, whereas right. my first book was 140,000 words because I also had never written a book before. I didn't know that that was too long. <laughs> Um, it's not too long sometimes, books, though. Books three and four of the Garnet Run series are 60K. Like that's the upper limit because they're coming out through special editions. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is like, I really had to teach myself to write shorter. Um, and I'm so glad I did because I think it's like a whole, it opened up a whole other skill set for me. And my agent liked to joke when I first was signing the contract with Harlequin, I was like, I'm really nervous about this 65,000 word limit. Like what if I what if I get to 65,000 words and I'm only halfway through the book? And she was like, well, don't have that happen. Um, but she was like, we'll just cut out all the descriptions you write of food and you'll cut out like 80,000 words. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so true. It's so funny. It's just, really yeah, funny. it's just something that's come up recently. Um, I personally have had a couple of books that like, I'm like, oh, I really love this author. I'll pick this book up. And then I grab it and it's a traditional published book. And you almost could put a different author's name on it because it almost sounds like a different voice. So it's wow. just something that I just kind of wanted to ask because you're in a unique position of being hybrid and having done both. So that's why you got stuck with that question. <laughs> no, I love it. I think I think it's super interesting. And I feel like I, I a little bit feel like there is a hesitancy to talk about the very real material differences between the two kinds of publishing. And I, I don't think it's, I don't know why, because I think it's such an interesting question. And like, there's no, there's no intrinsic critique to just by acknowledging that there are different yeah. modes of art and different modes of commerce. Like that seems so reasonable yeah. to me. Well, and also it comes down to in our world, <laughs> fade to black sometimes can be a four letter word <laughs> in this group. So sometimes you pick a book up and you're like, oh, that author typically writes like really spicy, sexy and I, romance. And I think that is where our hangup is. It's those authors <laughs> that they write extremely steamy in their indie works. And right. they don't like their their traditional published books are not bad. They're still very good. But we're expecting a certain like caliber of steam and we don't get it. And we're disappointed because I mean. Fades to black. Well, they don't all fade to black, but we just, we don't like those sorts of things. But sometimes, sometimes though, we get it and we don't care because the book is that darn that good. good. Yeah. We recently read a book that um, was not, it was really great banter and really sexy and really flirty. Um, and it was a really slow burn and I'm slow burns sometimes drive me up the wall. They make me crazy. I'm like complaining for days about them but days. this book this book was a slow burn but there was so much flirtiness and chemistry and sexiness on the page that you didn't even miss that it was you know 57 percent before everybody bumped Which uglies really is not that slow. <laughs> slow anyway i mean we've read a 90 percent one before 57 yeah. percent is not that slow yeah we did we read 90 percent and 
I didn't throw my Kindle. It was a miracle. Give me all the sexy times. Okay. Um, So we, of course, always want to celebrate the fact that you have the opportunity to write your own voice romances. Um, On our last episode, we had author Max Walker on with us, and he writes male, male um, romantic suspense romances. And so we were excited to get to have you on to come talk to us about writing queer romances. Um, but has it been difficult for you to find footing in the market? It seems like the market is so much different than it was even five years ago. Yeah, it's super different. You know, I, it's funny to think like, I still feel like such a latecomer to the genre because I entered like after the sort of, um, boom of, specifically mm romance so i still in that in those circles feel like very much of a newcomer there are people who've been writing like publishing mm romance for 15 years and um compared to them i'm like a little tadpole and um so it's weird to realize that it's actually been yeah i think like six years for me writing five years six years um i don't think okay i i feel like it's there are two different questions there there's kind of like there's, is it difficult to find a foothold within queer romance specifically? And then there's like, does queer romance have a hard time finding a footing in publishing and romance more generally? And I think for the first one, um, it wasn't really difficult to find, to get a foothold. There are so many amazing books and amazing authors. And I feel like most of the time, it's just a matter of like hoping readers are voracious enough to want to read everyone. Um, And people, there's always, you know, it's, there's always like the general author troubles of like getting your book to the right people, but because there is like, because MM as a genre and because queer romance as a genre, and I do kind of separate those two, there's huge overlap, but I don't think they're the same. Um, but because there is like a market for those, uh, within that tiny little world there, there's huge acceptance and, and excitement for those books outside of it. Um, I think there is, there's been a lot of progress with big five publishers uh, acquiring queer romance, but it's been mostly queer romance about white, straight, cis men by white, straight, cis women. And so I think that has been, that's like an industry-wide problem. which like I that's the most annoying thing in the world also. to Becky. <laughs> it's a Becky yeah. problem. Like yeah. it's cool. huge. And I'm actually to the point that um to me this equates the same as own voice for people of color. Like if you're going to write a romance about, you know, an interracial couple, if you know, if you're a white woman writing it, then you need to make sure you're using some sensitivity readers because, and early in the podcast, we read a male, male romance written by a cis middle-aged woman. Mm-hmm. And I read this romance and I was like, well, I actually listened to the audiobook, And I was like, uh, and my daughter's gunkles. If I, the one David, if I had given him that book, I use him as an example all the time. He knows it. He laughs at me. If I had given him that book, I totally would have been like, he'd been like, Becky, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm not reading this shit. Like he would have come at me like nobody's business. It's such a hang up. There are plenty of romance stories out there that we as white middle-aged women 
can write. And I'm not an author, so I'm not saying like I'm writing, but that they can write. <laughs> Let's make room for those people that are living, that, that this is who they are. This is their voice. This is their community representing. And, um, and I, t you know, that's part of the reason why it was so important when I found like Max Walker, I devoured as much of his backlist as I could get. Like, I was like, dude, I'm in love with you. Like, seriously, he's so adorable. And stalking him. He I is did adorable. start stalking him. He was I like started the stalking sweetest him. person. And I wanted to put him in my pocket. I was like, you can just come hang out with me. He's like, do you collect the gays? I'm like, I might. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. Um, but so, yes, what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I to be clear, I know there are a lot of like, queer women also writing mm romance and i have no problem with that i, I am one of, like i say this as a queer woman who is who writes mm romance and a white queer cis woman who had romances published by a big five publisher that were about white cis queer men like this is a critique industry-wide and not a not an apology for myself or a critique of any other like queer people queer white people writing right queer white characters but I think that the um, the biggest problem with that, I mean, obviously it's a problem, period. But it's a pro like it's a larger problem because it it means that the sort of like publishing house liberation that is given to queer romance is given only to white queer romance is given only to cis white queer romance, and like even if there are those of us who are writing it who are queer which is great, I think that's better. But like, I am a cis white queer writing a book about cis white queers. And like, <clears throat> excuse me, that sets this precedent that makes it, that gives publishing the ability to say, look, we are doing the thing and to be right that they are doing one thing. But they, they wear that then as a suit of armor against critiques from people of color, queer people of color, trans people of color, who want to write stories and they say, well, okay, but look, we're, we're really only dipping our toe into the queer market and like, this is what sells. And I think this circles us back to your question earlier about like, is there a difference writing for writing self-pub stuff versus um, trad published stuff, which is like, there's a whole world of amazing authors who are self-publishing. And a lot of the authors that are self-publishing that are so good have to be self-publishing because they are not getting published traditionally. And so it's a feedback loop, I think, where like there, there are these distinctions. And, and I think you're totally right to point out those distinctions. And also some of those distinctions are less about individual authors like making choices for their career and more about publishing, pushing certain authors into making those decisions or having <clears throat> not having a book published or having folks who are like, queer authors of color write MM romance with white characters because that can get published. And then publishers are like, but look, we publish authors of color. You know, it's just a whole mess. It is a whole mess. And that's something, and Leah, you know, she's, <laughs> she's like my quiet wall of strength when all of this comes. Cause I kind of come out the gate like this and this, and I'm mad about this. And Leah's like, okay. So how can we make a difference? So it's really oh, important to us that, you know, that we are giving voice and time to everybody. And um, so, you know, and that's part of asking the questions. Someone's like, you're really going to ask those questions? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to ask them. 
I always give, you know, the author, we've had some publishers on and some different PR people. We've always given them the chance to like edit out if they choose not to answer that question. We don't, Mm -hmm. you can deflect and say, oh, you know, that's a great question. But how about this? Honestly, like we've told authors straight out, like if you don't want to answer the question, just say, I don't want to answer this question and we will move past it. Because honestly, like if you don't feel comfortable or you don't want to, because you're, you don't want that answer out there that's fine. Like you're not going to upset us. Like we don't want to upset you, but we just, and we're not, and we're not trying to make controversy or anything that it's just as readers in the genre, the love of the genre, we just want to make sure that we are giving voice and time equally to all the peoples. Well, and like (laughs) Becky and I were talking, I had read a couple male, male romances like a couple years ago. And I really truly felt like something was missing in them. I live in a very small town. I will admit that I am fairly sheltered in my life. Like I grew up in a in a school where I had graduated with 102 and I had a big class. Like we had, there was no diversity in my school at all. So I am sh- semi-sheltered in like the world <laughs> and I'm okay with that, but that's, that's a moot point. But like I had read a couple and I, and I just felt like there was something missing, but they were all white women writing white male, male romances. And I read one novella that I really enjoyed because I felt like the way that she wrote it, it just felt more raw than anything else I had read before, but it was the only one she had read or the only one she had wrote. So I kind of stepped back from them for a long time. And yours is the first one that I've read since I have, I had read those ones because one, I wanted to actually be able to talk to you about you, about your book with you because I, because I like doing that. But I felt like I needed to make that step back into that world because I really enjoy any type of book. And I've, I was holding myself back by being like, I don't think I'll like this because I didn't like it before. But I really like yours. I just, I fell in love with your characters so much. Thank you. Thanks. Well, and there, to be honest, there are like, I do think it's a different, it's a different genre now than it was five or seven or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there, I mean, which is like, of course it is because when something gains popularity, more people write it. And the more people who are writing their stories, the more different kinds of books there are. But I also think like these critiques have been absorbed by the genre and people have gotten better, I think about, um, about stereotyping, about writing sort of like fantasy wish fulfillment kinds of books. <clears throat> and to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with writing any of those books. Mm-hmm. The the part where you're making a choice is when you publish it. Yeah. Um, so there's like no shade at all for writing anything you want in the entire universe. Um, but I do think like these are super important conversations to have. And to your point, Becky, like I think I think making people uncomfortable is great sometimes. Not like in a mean, I'm going to get down on you, but like, I think that, that we all need to be uncomfortable, especially like those of us who are benefiting from the privileges that I just described, myself included, um, like being uncomfortable is necessary to creating change, to being a part of change, to allowing change to happen around you. And I think that, that, um, the, like folks in publishing who are right-minded and want more diverse books, like exclamation point, exclamation point, 
those people, if they actually have, if, they, if that's a good faith desire, they also need to be uncomfortable and also should want to be made uncomfortable because that's the only way that change is going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, and I'll be so honest, you know, I, so my background, like theater, you know, I grew up in the theater. I, all of my friends are theater and I just, you know, I've always had a mix of friends and straight friends and queer friends and everything like that. And I just thought everyone accepted everyone. And I do live in kind of middle-class America, Ohio, like, it's very white. Um, but I just thought, you know, oh, yeah, well, I've got gay friends and but they're theater kids. And so everybody in the theater, everybody loves everybody. It's just kind of its thing. But it's really only been in the last year that as my child has shared herself with her father and I, that she has also pushed us to be like more thoughtful in what we're saying, you know, and you know, one of our, our best couple friend that we go out to dinner with when we ate out, because we haven't done that in like a year and a half for anything, but that comes over for game night and spends times with us, my daughter's gunkles, you know, they're comfortable, but they're also, you know, white men living in white middle America. So it's, you know, there's no super huge challenges in our town for them, but it's been my daughter pushing us and saying, you know, mom, you need to be more thoughtful about that. And you need to think this. And I'm not to lie, but I do have to ask her things like, can you tell me yeah. what this means? Because I don't, you know, I graduated in the high school from in the early 90s. Like, I'm, I'm I old. have to look it up. Your mom, like, I'll come you have to help your mom. <laughs> and I look it up. But she pushes me to get out of my, to get outside myself and to make sure that, you know, we're repping everybody because that's something, you know, we are very clear about. Everyone deserves romance. Everyone yeah. deserves the happily ever after. All of us, you know, that's kind of the same feel with like real bodied heroines. I want to read a heroine that looks like me that gets, you know, the good looking guy. I want the dad bod guy that, you know, gets the good looking girl. I want all of it. So mm-hmm. it's just really important to me that, you know, and I'm curious. That's why I have a podcast so I can ask all the questions. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's so wonderful. And like, I love that you asked your daughter. I love that you look things up. Like I also look things up. I mean, I didn't even know it was cool when I was a teenager. So why would I ever think I know now? Um, but I think like that to be able to accept that as the gift that it really is, like, that's the gift of someone caring enough about you to want you to be a better person. And I think that that like, that to me is the motivation behind so many of these conversations about publishing as well as like, none of us want, well, I shouldn't say none of us, um, but like generally authors don't want publishers to like burn down and die. We want them to like, just actually do better and live into the power that they have um, to realize that the books that they choose, like individually, each one book might not be a huge deal, but that collectively they have the power to shape the reading public and that is a huge and awesome power and I don't know I mean I once heard a wise person say with great power comes great responsibility (laughs) and like if you're not willing to to take with grace that people want to push you to do better and make the world a better place like fuck you honestly yeah oh I agree 100% so okay before we get into your books what was the first romance you ever read and felt like you that felt like to you, the character was reflective of who you were 
or was it actually the first book you wrote that gave you that Ugh. insight as to who you were? That's <clears> such an interesting question. Yeah, I know, right? no, I love that. It's going to be like, lose my email, Becky. <laughs> Just lose it. Oh, wait. oh my God. No, like what you have to understand about me is I would rather <laughs> talk for eight hours about like politics, philosophy, and really personal things. But if you see me at a party and want to like chit chat, I will run and hide in the bathroom. So no, I we can just do it. shots at the we'll party and shots in the corner. And deep deep yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I'm all about We're totally it. in on that. Um, no, I love that question. Um, well, I think it's really, it's, it's interesting because what, what has become clearer and clearer to me with each book I write is that like every character I write has some piece of me in it. So like the first book that I wrote in the middle of somewhere, the character of Daniel is very similar to me in a lot of ways. Um, not completely identical to me, certainly, but like we share a lot of characteristics. Um, but then I wrote other books where the characters like on the surface, no one would ever think that they're anything like me. Um, but really like I wrote the entire book because I was having this crisis about like one particular thing and I gate and I like turned that thing into a character um, or I was like working through a conflict with someone in my life and I was like thinking about that dynamic and so I, I wanted to write through that. Um, and so similarly as a reader, I feel like um, maybe I didn't read books where like the character in its entirety felt like me in my entirety, but I definitely like would read romance and be like, oh my gosh, he's doing that thing that I do. Maybe this is why both of us are totally alone. <laughs> or like, oh, she makes jokes when she's uncomfortable, just like I do. Maybe this is why we're both totally <laughs> alone. Anyway, the, the outcome is always the same. But, um, <laughs> but I think um, it was actually my book, uh, small change, which was my the queer MF romance that I wrote. Um, I actually J uh, Daniel as a character is more like me than Ginger is, um, although Ginger and I share certain like certain things. Um, but the biggest thing that was exciting to me about writing that book was that I was a super angry teenager and young adult, um, and when I would read romance novels so often there was like no anger and I don't mean like abusive anger but I mean like I was furious with the world I was angry all the time I didn't feel like I fit in but also frustration like, and circumstances yeah exactly yes uh, the patriarchy it was just this like deep burning rage that I carried within me uh, <laughs> at all times and I would read these books and like somehow especially like female characters they were never angry like they got mad, but they weren't like fundamentally angry. And uh, I will not forget all books always. Um, but I, I read a book where like, it seemed like maybe the character was gonna be someone who was angry, but then it turned out they just had like an actual anger management problem. Like they were abusive. And so when I was writing Small Change, I think the reason that it took me so many drafts to write is that it was a character who was like, close to me in a, not in like the most important way like certainly that wasn't the most important thing about me but she was she was like me in this way that I hadn't seen in other characters before like that personality trait in a romance was like with a queer woman dating a man was not something that I had seen before and it was like a really important book for me to write um because I felt like 
again, Ginger wasn't identical to me or anything, but like, I really felt as if I was adding something that wasn't there to the genre. And uh, yeah, so I think that like that, that was a book that I actually don't know if I would have written that book if I had read other books that had characters who really, um, who did that for me. Well, it's on my TBR. I'm going to, although it's probably on my girl child's TBR too, as I have to fight her for all the books. These oh, days. Well, I hope you enjoy it. I, I would be really curious about your thoughts because yeah. I think it is, you know, like I there are people who really love Ginger and I would say that consistently I get the most heartfelt emails from a specifically women about that book, but there are also people who are like she's miserable and I hate her. So. Well, that's fair. So let's talk better than people and best laid plans because those are your most recent releases. Yeah. Okay. Um. So st- up first, better than people, we have Simon and Jack, and I have to tell you, I just think they're simply just the best. Aww. I love them. I love them. Like Simon might be a book boyfriend. I'm just saying. I'm so glad. No, I have to read it. You do have to read it. It's, it's on sale. So good. It, it is, is on sale, sale on right sale now. For Pride Month. Um, so it's total grumpy sunshine. It has real representation of anxiety and the support of a partner and what their role is in someone else's anxiety and that you don't need to fix it. Um, and this is such a powerful piece to this story. And it was really great for me to read it because so I married someone that has anxiety and I'm an extrovert. And he was not. Um, but as age and he's gotten older, he is a little bit better now. Um, and for a long time, I thought it was my job to fix it. Like to hold his hand and force him to be better and to do better and to get over it. And um, and with age and life and children, it finally took me to realize that that was not my role. <laughs> like I don't need to fix him. I love him no matter what. Um and so that was just like this really powerful piece in this story. So what was the inspiration there? Thanks. I'm, I'm really glad that resonated. Um, yeah, I wanted, I, well, I love grumpy sunshine as a trope. It, I do it really is very dear to me. Um, <laughs> I, I really, that, I mean, really what you just said is, is exactly why I wanted to write it. Um, I wanted to write a character, you know, when I first started thinking about who Simon was going to be, I wanted to write it sort of like <clears throat> like a locked room romance, the way there are locked room mysteries, um, where it was like, it kind of all took place mostly in one house. And so Jack, you know, who breaks his leg at the beginning of the book, <clears throat> there are some moments where they're outside, there are moments later in the book where they go places, but I, I really wanted to experiment with having these characters who like connect and fall in love in this one place and so I was thinking about like what would be so if you have Jack who's kind of like I knew was going to be super furious about having broken his leg and just want to to get out I was kind of like well who is the perfect foil for that um oh wouldn't it be great if it was someone who was like really shy who of course wouldn't meet a boyfriend like out and about because they don't go out and about they're really shy and also who would feel like oh god a grumpy person that's so scary and I was like charmed initially just by that dynamic. So I was like, oh, I'll write that. But then the more I started thinking about shyness, like I am an introvert, but I'm not shy. Um, and the more I started, I was, try- I was trying to think like, 
what is the definition of shyness? So nerd alert, I started reading all these psychology <laughs> articles about shyness and shyness is actually not a real thing, like not an acknowledged by professional psychology thing. Um, it's like a series of behaviors that develop in response to feelings of anxiety, feelings of trauma, uh, feelings of, um, uh, yeah, just like mostly anxiety. So I started right. to think about that and I was like, well, what is the line between shyness and anxiety? And I am someone who I have a history of depression. That's something that I've had for most of my life. Um, but I, I had one period of extreme anxiety that lasted maybe six months where I was having panic attacks for the first time in my life. And it was literally the most horrible physical experience of my existence. And it was so, um, it completely changed the way that I thought about the world and other people. And I, there, I'm on medication, everything's fine, I'm great. Uh, yeah. But I, I think like when I started thinking about where the line is between shyness and anxiety, and learning that that kind of idea that like shyness is sort of a construct that we we make up about children um yeah that i i wanted to to kind of like give people a character who was dealing with that stuff and working through it and also like i felt incredibly lucky that my anxiety was situational and was able to be managed with medication but that is so not true for everyone and i know a lot yeah. of people who are on medication and still have intense anxiety and panic attacks and that is not going to change and I really wanted to write a character who didn't I didn't want it to be like a medical medicalized condition yeah. where like he was thinking about it as something that would be fixed quote unquote you know I wanted it yeah. to be like that is a part of his personality that's who he is and it it deserves to be taken as seriously and considered as permanent as any other part of someone's personality. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't a, a symptom. It was just who he was. And so um, I cared a lot about having Jack mess up a little bit, you know, having Jack think exactly like what you were saying, Becky, like, well, I just need to figure out with the best intentions, right? I think this is always with the best intentions. Like right. what can I do or who can I be <clears throat> to neutralize this problem? And of course, nobody wants to feel like a problem. And so even if it's with so much love, Simon doesn't want to be neutralized. He doesn't want for that problem to be solved because to him, it's not a problem. It's unfortunate in many circumstances, but it's right. a part of his personality. So that was really like what was behind that book. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, anxiety is something that is taught touched on a lot in romance. I feel like I've read a lot of romances with characters who have anxiety and some are amazing. And sometimes it really is treated more like a shyness where if you meet the right person, they can get around it almost like a, like a yeah. battle maneuver just going around from the back. And if you just can like disable the locking mechanism, then like you are exempt. Like that person is well, exempt from that. Yeah. And that's not, that's not, that's not how it works. How it works. It's, it's no, interesting because my, my husband also deals with a lot of anxiety and he, but his is not obvious. So it's one of those things where I, I personally can tell when he is like full blown, like bad, just yeah. because he shuts down more. 
because he's he internalizes. But yeah, that it's it's always there. It's never something that you could. And he is medicated currently, but like, but it's always like an outlier of like chaos in his mind, like what's yeah. going on. Well, and I think it's just really important. And I would say that better than people. And there's probably another author I can think of that does anxiety as a character trait very, very well. Um, and that's Chloe Lisi. And if you haven't read her, her books are amazing. Um, she writes neurodiverse characters that deal with a lot of um, anxiety and depression. There's selective mute in one of her books. Um, but, you know, as a grown up, it was hard for me to realize that I used to always say, oh, he's just quiet, like in reference to, oh, he's just quiet. Oh, he's not quiet. He has anxiety. And it wasn't my job to fix it or define it or to put a label on it to help other people relate to him. That wasn't my job. But it took me a really long time yeah. <laughs> to not, you know, to figure that out. So it was really touching, like heart touching for better than people because it was like, okay, this is my story. Um, these are, this is, I can relate to these people and it just really was so well done. And I just love Thank that story. I, I tell everyone to read it. And like I said, I let my girl child read it cause she, oh. cause I was like, she's a little bit anxious. And so I was like, you yeah. just need to read this. Um, and then the whole shyness, like theory that like you, all that research really interesting though. Cause my youngest is seven. She is an introverted extrovert. She does not do well in groups of people that she doesn't know. Like she shuts down. And yeah. but if she is comfortable in a situation, she is loud and in charge. And we people will come up to us that we know and like she won't really talk. She's gotten better since she's gotten a little bit older, but like for the longest time, like it, unless she was in an environment that she was very comfortable in, she wouldn't talk to people. Mm-hmm. And people w- would comment on it. We're like, She's not comfortable here. She's fine. Like, this is normal for her. I don't care if she's attached to me because her being comfortable is more important to me than you talking to my kid. Yeah. And so I, but I, for the longest time, like, we would just refer to, like, she's just shy because it was just an easy, like, blanket statement. Like, people people are going to pick. She's shy. But she's not. Like, she's not a shy kid. She just does not like being in an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because kids are sort of like where shyness seems to start. Like people Mm -hmm. will get a label of being shy or whatever. And there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with like the description, using it as a description. But I think sometimes what happens is that shy kids or kids who are told that they're shy or get talked about as shy, um, since that's an accepted word, that everyone understands it, it takes a long time a for trait. well it takes a long time yeah for people to then look beneath the surface and be like she is showing these outward signs that we call shyness but like is she actually experiencing extreme anxiety or mm-hmm. is she uh scared of someone did someone give her a reason to not feel comfortable with x person and i think that the like the de- the word itself is no problem but like sometimes it can be a a balm that covers up mm-hmm. something that's like actually yeah. we should be paying attention to. Yeah. So let's talk best laid plans. Leah just finished this today and she was so I happy did. she did. I was like, Aww. 
Thank you for making me read this. I was like, you're welcome. Um, so this one is really actually very different than Better Than People. Um, it's heavy on intimacy. The connection created is outside of the bedroom. Um, is it hard to create that kind of intimacy? It's my favorite thing to do. Okay. It's, it's my absolute favorite thing. Um, so I, I, no, I mean, not hard in that I really enjoy it and love to do it, but I, it is like constantly you have to come up with things to signify intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I did. I, you know, I wanted it to be kind of like if better than people was a like a took place all in one small space. I wanted best laid plans to feel kind of like it took place outside in an open area. And especially cause they were like actively putting this house together mm-hmm. that it was all about sort of like, instead of being already encompassed within something the way they are in better than people, this was all about like being outside and creating something from the outside in. Um, and so that's kind of like, I wanted them to feel a little bit in, in verse in that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the intimacy was like, I wanted to find a way because Charlie in this book is um, has never really experienced sexual attraction, at least not since he was like one instance as a, as a teenager and he's now in his late thirties. Um, I didn't want their intimacy to be based on sex because that wouldn't really, that would never be what Charlie would fall into first. Um, but I wanted sex. I wanted their relationship to be full of exploration. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that exploration to be explicit instead of implicit, if that makes sense. It was sexy without sex. And this coming from me who, you know, give me all the sexy. Well, I mean, Becky Becky is a, she went through a PWP phase. (laughs) Right. So, which is porn, porn without, without plot. plot. Oh, oh, yeah, of course. So, I, I mean, that? I mean, and it's not, not right really there. a phase. It's not I mean, really yeah. a phase. The character trait. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, like, but this book is sexy without sex. And Charlie oh. is one of the most complex characters I've read this year. Thank and you. I just wanted to, like, wrap him up and, like, hold him tight. Like, yeah. he has been through so much like in his life and he let go and did not pursue so much because he had this image in his head about how his life was supposed to happen after um, he took care of his brother, like after everything happened with his parents. And I just, I just wanted to hug him and like never let him go. Yes. Yeah, there he, are moments where he needs like to be shaken. Like, what are you thinking? Um, yeah. I had some moments that dude needed like biffed upside the head is all I'm saying. Like dude. Um, But I love it. And I can't, I tell everybody, you know, better than people, best laid plans, read them. They're amazing. Thank you. That's, that means so much to me and is really like, I mean, I just, can I just say on, uh, on live television, I'm just kidding. Um, That like, I do not know if people understand how incredibly, helpful it is for authors to have people just like tell their friends to read your book it's everything so we do it all the time we do it all the time it's kind of our gig (laughs) yeah but one thing I did like because I I know you are a big fan of your cat but I loved 
Rye's relationship with Marmot. Like, not that Jane wasn't a great cat, but like Marmot just was this adorable little like ball of fluff. And I just loved it. I'm so glad. Yeah, she's my little hell beast. <laughs> I just love that you connected with the cat in the book, Leah. Leave me alone. But the, <laughs> she was like the was Marmot a she or he or was I think a she. I mean, I feel like she's Marmot, a cat. I mean, at yeah, that I feel point. like Marmot doesn't have no, strong but, gender. But I felt like Marmot was such a big part of like Rye's personality and Rye's like transformation because like he he moves around so much. He has so many roommates, but Marmot is like his steadfast like companion. Like it is the one thing that is continuous for him. So I personally felt like Marmot was a big part of Rye. Yes. No. I I'm so glad that you thought that. That is completely what I wanted, and I. I feel like um, people's animals do not always resemble them personality-wise, but if you're writing it in a book and you can do whatever you want, exactly. you can go ahead and make them that way. And so <laughs> I definitely wanted um, Rye to be sort of like a representation of, I mean, for Marmot to be kind of a representation of Rye and for Jane to be a bit of a representation of Charlie and like the that Marmot is like, you know, she's found in an oil can and she's like such a scrappy little Yes. I will defend myself and like scratch your eyes out, but also I would love to purr right close next to you on your shoulder right now. And for, for Charlie, like Jane is this big fluffy kind of like, doesn't do that much, but when she does, you know, she really means it little fluff. And so she's a total uh, yeah, princess. No, she's like princess. princess. Can a, pr- a main coon be a Coon-pr- princess? princess. Yep. I'm pretty Wants sure. A little bit of a spanking every now and then. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> it's truthful and I like I do like in like the epilogue with murder cat like that whole part made me laugh like I was sitting so at the pool finishing this book just like giggling to myself because like really? murder cat was on the page because murder cat <laughs> I forgot about murder cat how could you forget about murder cat cat right okay so before we get to what you're doing next we have to ask you our buzzing about romance conversation card we are creating conversation cards that are geared towards book clubs and the romance reader discussion cool. groups so your question which is one of our nicer questions. We've had it some is. weird we ones. Some, some <laughs> dirty ones. Not, Not suitable for work ones, but Roan, for you, we didn't we didn't go that route. Um describe your last read in the worst way possible. Oh my god, you know, I saw that you were gonna ask me this question and I made a mental note to think of something really clever to say, and then I totally <laughs> forgot. I call it um, audible because asked. Roan was my last read. I can't say things bad about it. <laughs> they were really terrible too much. <laughs> Say it to her face, Leah. I know, I, I can't do that. <laughs> um, okay, my last read. Okay, wait, do I tell you what the book was or do I not tell you and just describe it? And people Just describe it. Just describe it. In the worst way possible. In the worst way possible. Okay, okay but I have to disclaim that I am really enjoying the book. So just so everyone knows. Okay, okay. she likes okay. the book. Um. Scrabble is the most action that's going on. They're obviously never going to bone. No one cares about pirates anymore. (laughs) Architecture is classist. Oh. You will have to tell us off recording. Recording. What book you're reading. What you're reading. I I love it. 
So tell us, what are you reading? I'm reading um, the third book in Josh Lanyon's Secrets and Scrabble series, which is a cozy romance mystery series. And I love it. And I love Josh Lanyon. And so I'm perfectly happy to say, um, to describe it in the worst way possible, because possible. I describe any book in the worst way possible. And I am really enjoying this series. It sounds so funny. Also, they are never going to bone because it's like a cozy means no on, on As, page. Yeah. Back. I don't know if I can it's a sweet one. romance cozy or sweet romance which is okay yeah not every book is for everybody, it's for everybody. it's true i am it's a true. i love i love cozy mysteries i'm a fan <laughs> no i read a whole series one about this poodle breeder and then anyway i have a whole bunch of cozy mysteries that i used to read that were cool. like series of books and stuff there's one i can't think of the author's name she wrote a whole series and there's a bird a species of bird in every title and oh, i'm gonna have to check that out because i've gotten very into birding during the pandemic yeah they're very funny into and birding? Yeah. i know i'm like basically like bird watching or just bird, bird learning bird watching bird learning bird uh i have a bird feeder now on my window which i was just tweeting about today because for the whole like first several months that i had it it's really cool it's like a plexiglass see-through one with suction cups we so had one have like one. that yeah so my friend got one and he was like this is amazing you have to get one so I got one for like months no freaking birds came to this thing then I moved my desk to right in front of where the thing is and all of a sudden the birds started to come but they would get terrified of me because <laughs> you know if I can see them they can see me so just in the last week like all these birds have started to come and I've realized that what happens is they will stay if I just freeze and remain totally motionless. So I was trying to write today and I was like trying to move the mouse. And then I would see out of the corner of my eye that a bird was there. So I would just freeze like, and try to watch the bird without turning my head. Uh, it's a real productivity killer. I'm not gonna lie. I was gonna say, we haven't had a bird feeder. We moved a couple years ago and we haven't had a bird feeder because we had blue jays in our old house that would come to the bird feeder. And blue jays are mean if you don't know this. And they would dive bomb our one Aussie. Like, they went after him. Now, he's an asshole. Like, if we're all really honest, he's an asshole. But, like, the Blue Jays hated him. Um, okay, so, Roan, tell us what is next um, for you. Um, well, I have one what is next and one it's happening as we speak. Um, so I didn't mention it as my most recent release because it's not a romance, nor is it a book but I just did this collaboration that I'm really, really proud of. Um, I don't know if either of you are horror fans. I'm a big horror fan. And I just, it came out last week. Um, it's called Strange Company and it's an Audible original. So you can get it, like you can stream it for free if you're an Audible member or you can buy it outright. But it was this collaboration that I did with my partner who's an amazing musician. And it's six horror stories and the, they're scored. So it's basically like a movie without the visual part. Yeah. And it was amazing to work on because um, for some of them, like I had would send her the stories and she would write music based on them. But then for some of them, she had these music pieces that she was working on and she would send to me and I would like write the story based on what the music sounded like to me. And the narrators that they got are amazing. 
like they're so good and it's really cool and it's not super duper scary so for people who are like interested in a little bit of creepy but don't like there's no like you know yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a big scary like, fan. Oh, yeah, my husband makes fun of me. He loves the scary, and I refuse to watch. The I was scary. gonna say, oh, yeah. Mike and Girl Child are both big into the scary, so yeah. we might have well, to. My Mike would like that too. To I'll have to tell him about I, it. Yeah, it's like old timey radio. Yeah, it kind of is, and we really like. It was really cool. Um, Timmy, my girlfriend, did like placed all the music cues so Mm -hmm. we really had like a lot of control over the project she did the cover um and it was just an amazing collaboration and I'm so excited that it is out in the world and it will be I'll put it out as a book eventually after the exclusivity period ends but it's it's on audible it's really cool yeah so so that was really fun to write another genre I am as my bio promised like eventually I want to write all the genres so take that one off, off the list. <laughs> um, what's coming next for me is books three and four in the Garnet Run series. So book three is called The Lights on Knockbridge Lane. And that is coming out in the end of October. And it's a Christmas book. And I'm super excited about it because it is a first for me in many ways. It is the first book I've ever written that has a child. Like it's a single dad romance. Um, it's single dad. Yeah. Yeah. It's and she's adorable. She's like the child that I would want to, would have wanted to be friends with in elementary school. She's like into science and she loves snakes and like spiders and lizards and just wants to like hang out with animals. And it's really sweet and, and kind of like snarky. She's great. Um, (coughs) excuse me. Might be raising that person. (laughs) Might be raising that person. You are, there's no might be. So awesome. The other first, though, which is really cool, is that it's actually the first queer romance um, published by a Harlequin line. So it's coming out through special editions, not Karina. Um, And I'm really curious to see how it goes. Okay. We're going to have to figure out which one of the Harlequin (laughs) editors has that and be like sending them an email like, hello, I am over here. Um, Carrie is my editor. Okay. She will happily send you a copy. She's the best in the world. Fine, Carrie. <laughs> well, cause like I said, you know, like I found you because Karina Press, you know, they sent me, they send me stuff all the time and they sent this looking, you know, for blog tours. And I was like, yeah, I'll check this out. I'll read this. I want to try this. And so I'll, I'll stalk Carrie. I know lots of people <laughs> over there at Harlequin. I'll find okay. Carrie. And- if you have any trouble, I'll send it. Okay, I'll be like, hey, friend, you want to send me this and send me all the blog stuff? Because, you know, we're big fans. <laughs> Leah's like, yes, we are. <laughs> I'm just a little quieter about it. Most, I know. Well, most of the time. I'm like the crazy stalker <laughs> fan. <laughs> well, I don't guy. announce it. I might do it, but I don't tell people about it. You're the one who's going to get away with a crime. That's how right. It works. I'm not. Like seriously, I think though that if honestly, if people talk to me, they pro- I talk about your own. Like you and I are best friends. Just so you know, like oh, my friend so Roan wrote this book. You should read it. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, aren't we friends now? I we, we are. are. We, we totally are. So yeah, I mean, honestly, like I'm like, oh, this is my friend Roan. She wrote this book. You guys should totally read this. And so I actually just friends. I like 
go on their podcast and then say live that we're friends so that they can't possibly say no. I mean, we it's, will never deny it. It is forever on the internet. On the internet. On the internet. I actually told the Gunkles, I was like, because we're seeing them for the girl child's birthday on Friday. And I was like, I have a book for you. And he's like, really? I was like, no, you're going to want to read this one. So that's, that's awesome. They're so funny. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. We were so happy to have you on and to get to chat with you. Um, you know, anytime. We love having you. Thank you. This was so nice. Thank you for letting me be your pinch hitter. I was going to say, thank you. Thank you for coming and pinch hitting yeah, for thanks. us. Of course. I think that, that's the term, right? That's it, the is. it is. It is. Look at us doing sports analogies and we are not sports people. I apologize anyway. for the background noise. It's just, just been dog. in the last couple minutes. Anyway. Yeah, he's um, a bone. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and here's my cat. You must have heard your dog. Okay, that was delightful. I adore Roan, and really, truly, she is, like, my new best friend, honest. Well, and she said that she's friends with us, too, so right. it counts. It we counts. can claim her as one of we, us. She claimed us, so we claim her. Right. Okay, so um, romance book buzz. Uh, we are at the halfway point of the year, Leah. We are. It's kind of crazy. It is, right? 2021 is halfway done. Um, so... Rhymes. What is your best read of 2021 so far? And I have to tell okay. you before you get into yours, I have broken mine down because well, I can't just have since one. Since you broke yours down, I broke mine down also because honestly, that was a fucking hard question. It is a fucking hard question. <laughs> I, mean, I don't drop the F-bomb on here too much. You don't. I do it internally, but like that's really hard. Okay. And, so what's your best read I've, so like, far? Honestly, I've read so many good books this year, which... Even with like the book slump I went through, I have to say From the Embers by Allie Martinez, hands down, one of the best books I have read. I had a multiple day book hangover from that thing. Like I was torn apart. I was put back together and I was torn apart again. Like that is such a good, such book. A good book. So good. And I was so happy we got to talk to her about it and I could like fangirl over the book to her. Yeah, because that is just, such a good book. If you have not read this book yet, you need to read it. Like it is hands down one of the best things I've had in front of me this year. It is. It's such a good book. Ugh. Um, but then my best new series is a suspense series. Um, I'm only counting stuff that I've read in this one. So like Linear Tactical by Janie Crouch. I had never read her before. She'd been on my TBR for a really, <laughs> excuse me, a really long time. But I started it and I devoured the series in like, I I won't say how long, but not long. And it's not long. it's it's a big it's a big series. And then I really I read new to me author Lanny Lynn Vale for the first time this year, and she has a huge backlist. And I am slowly creeping her way through that. Yes, well, because she's not Ku, so like I have to book budget her out. Oh, book budgets are the worst. They are the worst. Okay, so for me, my absolute favorite read so far in 2021, this is going to come as no shock to anybody that listens to the podcast. Every Time I Fall by Lexi Ryan. It is so good. It is. It is, it is honestly, so though, good. it's a close second for me. Um, and my close second was Only One Night by Natasha Madison. Obviously, if you listen to the podcast, you know we have a love of hockey romances 
and Manning is just yeah. amazing. amazing. And he's so good in that whole, those all four of those books. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there for Ralph in the beginning of book one. He was there for Miller in book two and then his story in book three. And then he totally brought the props when fucking for Nico. Becca. Like he was there for Becca, not yeah. for Nico. For Becca. So, but <laughs> every time I fall by Lexi Ryan, if you have not read that book, Real Bodied Heroine, Brothers, um, Best Friend. Best Friend. It's just so but, good. And Dean is definitely book boyfriend material. He is so book boyfriend. And the fact that I still think about him and feel this dreamy, swoony feel towards him. Mm-hmm. I just. Anyway, um, my best new series has been the Boston Hawks hockey series by Gina Aziz. Her latest release comes out a Tuesday or Wednesday of this week after this episode drops. It's like the 22nd up. or 23rd. I think we mentioned it in our upcoming books. 23rd. Um I just, I love Gina's books. We had her on a happy hour. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read this series, if you like hockey romances, I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, um, it's, it's very good. And we kicked off the year with our drunk book club on January the 3rd with author Melanie Harlow. And I had never read her before. Oh, and really? now, yeah, I had never read her before. Most of the authors for drunk book club tend to be ones I've never read, which is fantastic for me because, you know, it opens my eyes to new authors. But since I have become obsessed with Melanie's books and her um, Bellamy Creek series just completed and I loved it and I'm going back and reading the Cloverleaf Farms and oh, I like her Cloverleaf Farms is very good. I like that one a lot. And she's just (laughs) a darling. She's just a darling. So. So, yeah, that's where we're at in the halfway point, which is crazy that we're halfway through the year already. But then we have Patreon updates. So we have changed some things. We added two brand new tiers to the Patreon. We have the cold brew list. And this tier includes a physical book journal mailed to you every six months. Um, The first journal will hit mailboxes in mid-July, and it will be for August 2021 through January 2022. Are you sending stickers also? Yes. Peanut butter taco. Well, I didn't know, but then I was like, who am I asking? So that's a rhetorical question. It'll be uh, each book uh, journal will come. It'll be unique to them, um, to that time period. You know, we might have stickers. We might have a special pen that I really like because you know how I feel about my pens. Um, So we'll just see. But they're guaranteed one of the book journals that will help them keep track of all the reads because, Mm -hmm. you know, we all need to remember what we read. And it's, some of us have trouble keeping track of that. That's right. <laughs> um, but then we also added the Queen Bees tier. And this <laughs> includes all the stuff for the fancy drinks and the cold brew list tier. And also our brand new Coffee of the Month Club. Um, the coffee is a small batch artisan coffee that actually is made right near Becky. Yeah, um, just down the road. It will be delivered to your doorstep every month. Yep. Flavors will vary depending on seasonal choices and such like that. There might be new beans from different regions and such. Um, But yeah, check it out on our Patreon because this is the best coffee in the whole wide world. I I promise. Um, You will know soon because a box (laughs) is going out in the mail 
today or well tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow um i made your label today um i'm excited because I, I do like good coffee I do want to take a moment and welcome a new Patreon member, William. We are super excited to have you join us. If you would like to join our Patreon campaign, you can find details at patreon.com slash bookcase and coffee. Um, Leah, what are you reading? I am actually reading <clears throat> Blackout After Dark. It's a Gansett Island novel by Marie Force. It, I don't, I think it might be the last book in the series, but it's kind of like a, I could be wrong. She could add more. But there's, it's like book 23 or something well, like that. And I've never, ne I blah, blah, blah. I have never read her as Marie Force. I read her Quantum series that she wrote as MS Force. Oh, really? Which is a super sexy sex club romance oh, that series. Sounds, that sounds delightful. But she is in the library, so I had to wait until this was available in the library. Yeah. But I, I just really enjoy, because these are steamy. Like they're not, there's, there's no fade to black. But the the formula of this one is very different because she, like each book follows a certain couple, but there's a lot of um, follow through with the couples. Like the That's second her book, there's quantum a lot from, series. There's a lot is. from the first couple and the second couple. And then like she kind of intermixes like th the farther she gets, which couples you see a lot of, but you always see a lot of um, the very first couple, which is Mac and Maddie. <clears throat> I think it's yeah. Maddie. Her quantum um, series is really good. I'm, I'm going to have to read that. Because, you know. But okay. the, I, I think this is like a, a roundup of everything. So, But notable upcoming releases. Are you yep. going to read all these or am I? Go all There's the way through the 23rd and I'll start at the 24th. <clears throat> okay. So Thirsty Black Wolf, Black Wolf Pack Book 1 by Janika Snow is June 21st. Secret Enemy Redstone Security Series Book 16 by Katie Rias is June 22nd. His Greatest Risk, Risk Book 10, which is the final book in that series by Anna Blakely, is June 22nd. Treasured by Lexi Blake is June 22nd. And I believe that's in a 1001 Dark Nights novella. It is a 1001 Dark Nights novella. Um, Cobb Lighthouse Security Investigations Book 9 by Mary Ann Jordan is June 22nd. Lessons in Sin by Pam Goodwin, June 22nd. The Next to Mrs. Russo by Jana Aston, June 22nd, which we are very excited about. Yes. The Fastball by A.M. Williams is also June 22nd. And <laughs> Falling for the Villain by M. Robinson and Rachel Van Dyken is June 22nd. It's a lot. It's a busy it day. Is. <laughs> the Rule Maker, book four in the Boston Hawk series by Gina Azee, is June 23rd. Finding Ronan's Heart, Vested Interest, ABC Corp, book two by Melanie Moreland, is June 24th. Always and Forever, Dogwood Cove, number one by Julia Jarrett, on June 24th. Thumper, this is the... Cerebus MC book 17 by Marie James, June 24th. I'm sure I, I got think that you're wrong. right. No, I think uh, you're right. Jock Royal by Sarah Nay is on June 24th. Finding You, a Small Town Romance by Daphne Elliott is also June 24th. And Say Yes by Candy Siner is June 24th. And I left that one last because, so this is episode 52 of the podcast. Um, it and is on our 52. 
In our very first episode, Brittany and I talked and reviewed a book by Candy Steiner. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's exciting. Make me hate you. <coughs> um, so I just felt like we should give her a little place honor there. So next up, it is a very special episode. Episode it 53. It is. It will kick off year two of the podcast. Yep. So from, from bees to buzz, we're going to chat about it. Yep. Our sometimes co-host and host of the Corset and Crown editions of our podcast, Duchess Katie, will be joining Leah and I um, to kick off the episode. And then some of our Patreons, who have also been our Quick Shot of Romance co-hosts, will be joining us later on in that episode. And we're going to go over the numbers of year one. Um, they're going to share some of their favorite moments and some of the best book recs they received from the podcast. It's exciting. Lots of stuff has happened. It is. And this episode I know is a little long. I hope you've stuck with us. If you had list, if you've listened to this or listened to any of our episodes, take a moment and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to. We've added some new platforms this week. We are now available in iHeartRadio and tune in. Oh, really? Yes. Exciting. It is exciting. So make sure you leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If you have a favorite moment from the podcast, send us an email this week. We would love to include your thoughts in our episodes. And we love to hear about it too and see if it matches up with some of our favorite moments. Right. From uh, Danica said, from penis hiatuses to lady envelopes. We should talk about them all. (laughs) Anyway. And we should. Thank, uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to us be crazy for the last year. Um, Until next time, everyone. Happy reading, everybody. Happy reading. Find us on Instagram at buzzingaboutromance or on Twitter at buzzingromance. If you like the podcast, please leave a review. If you'd like to support us directly, join the Bookcase and Coffee Patreon and receive exclusive content only available to Patreon members. Check out bookcaseandcoffee.com for our on-the-shelf show notes.